0: This table because it is a birthday celebration, not the exchange of gifts between a bunch of people who already have stuff. It's a birthday party. And so when you come, it's interesting, you come to Jesus birthday party and you get presents. You know, it's as it probably would God would want it to be at this birthday party, though, if you want to read the story of the birthday boy, go and read the first three chapters of Luke and you'll get the whole story there. Okay, You'll get the story in a little bit more of a complete picture because, again, Luke is a researcher and he is writing about what he's discovered to his friend Theophilus. Okay, So as we start today, we're in Luke chapter 2. It says 12 up there, but it's not. Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, we find this group of people, kind of a spectrum of people we're going to talk about today, beginning with the shepherds. So would you join me for a word of prayer? Father, as we open your word together, we know that you, the author, are the best person to give us content and to give us your opinion. And so today I ask that the preacher is out of the way and that your spirit take opportunity here today to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I had not noticed this little phrase before today, but I want to just remind you that this little phrase is, is, to me, jumping out as a promise this morning, that when the shepherds were told to go to Bethlehem, it said, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. Did you realize that there was a promise that they would find the baby? You will find the baby. And he didn't say the baby you're looking for will be in swaddling clothes and wrapped and lying in a manger. He said, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now the unusual part is that they're expecting the Messiah to be in a much grander state, perhaps in silks imported from China with, with the most beautiful perfumes available in the market and lying in the home of the wealthiest person in Bethlehem. But instead, you will find the baby, when you find him, wrapped in swaddling clothes, the clothing of the poor. They would take the old clothes that had worn out, rip them into rags, and that's what you'd wrap the baby in those old worn-out rags. So the things you would use to scrub your house, the things you would use to wipe the dust off of your, off of your, off of your uh, tables, those are the things that were the baby clothes of the day. You will find the child wrapped in the clothing of the poor and lying in a trough for animals. That's where you're going to find the baby. Now there were, shef- there were in that country shepherds Living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. We start this story with a group of people, as we've been talking about last week and we're talking about this week, the group of people who are underdogs. The story is full of people who shouldn't be in the story. If you were picking a team for this story, this would not be the team. These people wouldn't even be on the list. And shepherds would certainly never be on the list. It's interesting because Israel comes from shepherd stock. Their family is a group of shepherds. It was Abraham's trade. When he arrived arrived from Ur of the Chaldees, he arrived with flocks. And he he was a shepherd moving about with those flocks. It was David, their greatest king's trade. He was a shepherd boy. The greatest of Israel's founders, even Moses, was a shepherd. Yet, by the time of Jesus, shepherds would be a shock to you when you heard the story. So if we were listening to the story, and I've done this to you before, so if we were listening to the story, I want you to, I want you to gasp for me. because everybody gasp? <gasps> okay, good. So now when we get to the word shepherds, everybody gasp. Okay? I have to get to the word first. Okay. Now they're in the same country shepherds. See, Because you would go, what? Shepherds? Why would there be shepherds in this story? There's no reason to have shepherds. Shepherds, are you kidding? Living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks. Sp- what? You read the story and it's like, oh, sweet little shepherds and their sheep. They're so cute. And they're always little kids in their dad's bathrobe. That's what you think of, right? It, 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 it's shepherds. And they've got the little crook made out of some piece of plastic wrapped in some tape or something. And they're there and they're darling. No, in the first century, shepherds were like bottom rung folks. They're with the publicans and the tax collectors. There were, there were definite segments in society. There are lists. There are whole lists of the jobs you would not want your children to do. Literally, the rabbis made lists. You do not want your kid to do this or this or this or this or this. And if you go, there's like a dozen jobs in this list. And these are unclean people. These are unfit people. These are the kinds of people you don't want your kids to be around, hang around. You don't want your daughter to marry. This is a bad group of people. And shepherds are on every list. Most of the people on this list are people who do trade. So butchers are on the list. Butchers are on the list not because they're handling blood, although that is an issue. But their primary worry with the butchers was that they would give you an inferior cut of meat or they would cut out some blemish in the animal and go ahead and give it to you so that they might be criminal or sneaky butchers are on the list. Well, one of the rabbis has a big fit about this. He says, there's no reason to put the whole group of butchers on the list because you've run into one bad butcher. Okay, The butchers had a defendant. Shepherds, no defendants. Doctors. We're on the list. They were on the list because physicians, according to the rabbis, treated their wealthy patients well and ignored the poor. Because they, some of them were charlatans. And because some of them had on their consciences the deaths of many people. Now, the physicians had their defenders too. A rabbi says, no, a physician is a worthy employment, a worthy person, rescuing people from their, from their ill health. Shepherds, no defenders. Shepherds were believed to be thieves. Now, you've got to understand that at this time in history, most of the people who owned large flocks did not tend the flocks themselves and they didn't send their kids out in the fields. They hired somebody. Jesus makes this distinction. He makes this distinction between the hireling and the one who actually owns the sheep, right? He's calling out this cultural difference. Most of the people who were watching the sheep out in the fields were hired shepherds. They weren't owners of the sheep. And so they were considered thieves. In fact, you weren't supposed to buy anything from them. I was in the Home Depot parking lot with my son. I don't remember what exactly we'd gone in there to buy. But we're walking towards our car and these two guys are standing behind their car and they have the trunk open. And as I walk by, they go, typical. Hey, buddy, come here. And I look up, and they immediately start talking. Hey, we were doing this job, and they looked like they'd been working. We were doing this job, and uh, the, the client ordered... Uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was surround sound. The client ordered this package, and our boss ordered it too. And it's, it's too much expense and too much hassle to send it back. So he told us just to bring it down here and sell it to somebody, and we'd like to sell it to you. Now, I'm thinking just does no, really, this is not, this is not hot. There's nothing bad about it. This is literally just an extra part from our job site. We're just trying to get rid of it, get whatever we can out of it. The boss said we can have whatever money we make from it. And it's just, you know, it's like, mm, I don't know. There's something shady sounding about this, right? Now, when you're in that situation, if you have, if you're, when in doubt, remember what your mother told you, when in doubt, don't. So I I did not buy surround sound from those guys, okay? But that's what shepherds were like. According to the first century rabbis, if you bought something from a shepherd, it was likely to be hot. They had stolen it from the actual owner of the sheep. You weren't to buy any kind of lamb or kid from a shepherd. You weren't to buy wool from a shepherd. You weren't to buy milk from a shepherd. Because shepherds were thieves. They were likely to have stolen it from whoever owned it, okay? Shepherds were considered to behave scandalously. They lived out in the country and they did all sorts of things. Nobody really wanted to know what they were doing while they were living out there. Okay, They would wander around onto other people's property and let their sheep eat the grass on the other person's property. Out there in sort of free-range land, they knew they were going onto somebody's property. They'd go ahead and let the sheep go out there and graze someone's land. Now, that's a big deal in an arid country like Israel. Israel has the same rainfall. Jerusalem has the same rainfall as Sacramento Grass during the summer is a big deal. Letting these sheep go on someone else's property was a horrible thing for them to have done. They are unclean. They're unclean literally and therefore spiritually. They're unclean. They're always dirty. They can't go in and clean up. And Israel had certain rules and regulations about being clean. And they weren't clean, so they were unclean. So if anybody wants to know why shepherds are unclean, it's because they're not clean. Easy. They were not allowed to testify in a trial. They were considered to be of such ill repute, such negative personalities that they, they were not allowed to testify in a trial. So if you, were, if you were dependent upon a bunch of shepherds who had seen what you had done to tell the, the judge so you could get off, you're not getting off. Because these guys are not considered worthy characters to tell the truth even in front of a judge. And they certainly were not allowed to hold judicial office to be a judge. No matter how saintly or how many people wanted them to be, they were not allowed to be judges because they were shepherds and everybody knew shepherds shepherds are those guys they might as well be tax collectors and publicans they're pff, they're shepherds and so when the bible says there was a group of shepherds minding their their sheep that night out on the hills in bethlehem and an angel came to them everybody in the first century would have gone no 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 impossible no maybe the high priest Maybe, maybe a rabbi, maybe, but shepherds, never. Do you remember who announced the resurrection of Jesus? A woman who had a reputation for unseemly behavior named Mary. Remember? It seems to be God's delight to take the very person, who would put themselves at the bottom of the list for testimonials about Jesus, who would put themselves at the bottom of the most unlikely character and say to that person, I want you to do it. You know why I think that's true? Because those people are not taking any credit. They're not going to say, I was such a good guy, God told me first. Right? The shepherds know that nobody in society believes that they're good people. So they're not ever going to anybody and saying, I was such an awesome shepherd, amazing shepherd, that God spoke to me. I saw the angel. Right? There's no bragging rights here because these guys are so low on the totem pole, nobody's going to give them the opportunity to brag. Shepherds. There were shepherds. So the first thing you have to know, is the, the, the underdog that we have never recognized before, these guys are underdogs at the bottom of the cultural ladder. Okay? So if you've ever felt like you're at the bottom of the social or cultural ladder anywhere in the world, you're with those guys. And Jesus picked those guys. You've got to have faith in a God like that, who looks at you and says, Sure you could. Sure you could. Somebody who throws you their keys to their car and says, go ahead, drive it. And you're looking at them just a little trembling and say, really? Your car? It's the nicest car I've ever seen. They should should, should, go ahead. That's That's how God deals with us. He says, I know who you are. I know your past. I know all the dumb things you will do for the rest of your life. I have a catalog memory of everything that you will ever do and ever have done. I know your worst day and your best day and neither of them are that good. And yet here are the keys. Here are the keys to the kingdom. Those are the folks he picks. These guys are qualified by their disqualification. These guys are qualified because they're disqualified. And so are the rest of us. We are qualified because we are disqualified. We are qualified because we have nothing to brag about. We are qualified to serve in the ministry of Jesus and be thrown the keys to the kingdom Because we have no reason to ever say, I earned it. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds? (gasps) And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid, once again... One of my favorite pictures in Scripture. Over and over again, it makes me smile. I'm not sure why, just because maybe I have a little evil intent. But every time I think about these, like, you know, it's, there's no light bulbs. It'll be 1,800 years before the light bulb. And these guys all of a sudden get, you know, 50,000 watts of power in the sky. They're blinded by the light, quite literally. And bam, they are greatly afraid. I love the understatement of Scripture over and over again. These guys are terrified. They're screaming like third graders, and they're running for a place to hide. Okay? They're greatly afraid. And the Bible says, that the literal translation here should be, and afraid, they were afraid. It's doubling down on their fear. They're afraid, they were afraid. Okay, they were greatly afraid, very afraid. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Angel's first line. If you ever get assigned to be an angel, that'll be your first line. You know, when you do the Christmas program, that should be your first line anyway. When the angel appears, the angel should not begin the speech. The angel should say, do not be afraid, because the whole audience should be scared. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, And this will be the sign to you that you will find a babe. You will find him. Wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. Now, honestly, at that line, you know who gasps? The shepherds. So when the angel says, you're going to find the baby, the Messiah, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger, and the shepherds are like, "Ah, really? No, no. We figured we were going to have to go to Jerusalem to find him. At least, to, at least go back to, to the city of God to find God's son. To, into the high priest's house, maybe? Uh, uh, in, into some royal figure, some, some really saintly person? Uh, certainly not in a city like Bethlehem. Okay, city of David and all that. I got that, but in, 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 in a manger, in, in swaddling clothes? Really? None of them said that because they are afraid, being very afraid. And suddenly they were with the angel. So here's what, here's the grace of God. He turns on the lights and it's like, whoa! But he only turns on one light. Imagine how terrified they would have been if he turned all the lights on at one time. He keeps everybody else, okay, the rest of you guys hide. I don't know how you hide a bunch of angels in the sky, but hide. The rest of you guys are going to not be visible until this guy talks, because they're not going to hear anything if you all show up. So we're going to let this one guy talk. And then once he's done, then you all can say, Hi! <laughs> and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Now stop, and stop it for a second. The heavenly host is an army. You read other translations, it will say there was a multitude of the armies of God. Appearing in the sky, so think rank upon rank upon rank upon rank of soldiers, like angels, like soldiers, lined up in the sky above them, just amazingly bright, amazingly present. The the power and the presence of God is shining out in the heavens, lighting the entire region. I don't know why everybody in the house, everybody in the neighborhood isn't awake. The only thing I can imagine is they wait till like after two or three in the morning. You know, when you go out, I, I, was, I, was, I drove back from San Jose this week. Um, I left San Jose. I got up about 5 o'clock in the morning. It's pitched, There's nothing going on in San Jose at 5 in the morning. Even the criminals are all in bed. <laughs> I left about 6, and just the first commuters are heading out onto the streets and stuff. It was the most peaceful drive I've had through the Bay Area in years because nobody's out early in the morning. So maybe this happens at like 4, 3, 4 in the morning when everybody's kind of going to bed. I used to have a job where I cleaned Denny's at night. My job started at midnight, and from midnight to 2, you could kind of get your job done. Somewhere around 1.30, 1.45, you had to be out of the restaurant cleaning the outside windows. Because I did windows, floors, and bathrooms just for your glorification. And so I had to get all the inside stuff done because there was a rush at about 2.00. Because in California, you can't sell alcohol after 2 o'clock in the morning. So all the doors closed on those establishments, and people went out for something to eat. Usually they drove there and got a bite to eat before they went home. But you had to be outside. So I think this may have happened after the last establishments closed. And when everything was sealed up and everybody was home in their beds silent, then the angels appear. And they appear with such glory and such majesty that they look like an army in ranks in the sky. Don't you wish you could have seen that? You get to. Because the second coming has the same description. Only in the middle of the whole thing. It's not the babe lost down in the cave in swaddling clothes. He's leading the band. That's the, that's the end time picture. That's what, that's what it looks like when Jesus comes. Ranks of the heavenly host led by the Messiah. Just like this. So you can join the shepherds going, ah, at that moment when Jesus comes again. A multitude of the heavenly hosts and they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. We sing this. We, we act like this was a song. It doesn't say they sang. You know, when we present this, we always present it like it's musical. Like, glory to God in the highest. That's not what it says. It says, and they said. And they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Now, my picture, Now, you know I have a little bit of an imagination. My picture is, you know, Angel Gabriel was the first on the scene, turning on the lights and freaking out the shepherds. And he speaks. And then they turn on the rest of the lights and the shepherds are like, oh, my God, I don't know what we're supposed to do now. And they begin to speak, maybe in ranks, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. And it begins to fill and it begins to build. It was constantly a, a practice in the worship of the temples to have antiphonal choirs that would speak Words like this back and forth. They would speak the Psalms and they would build to the crescendo of the entire group. I wonder if these angels didn't do in the, in the manner of worship that Israel was accustomed to, the manner of worship that these guys would have seen before, begin this thing as this group, this, this host, stand out there like a rank of, of soldiers beginning to speak, first a few and then many and then many. When we see in Revelation this building crowd that starts with the with the 24 elders and continues to grow as the angels join and continues to grow as thousands upon thousands join and then everyone in heaven is, is speaking out. I wonder if this was the same kind of thing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. Until the, the whole sky is filled with angels and they're repeating this same verse, this same chant. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. I wonder if we looked at Revelation, if we wouldn't just do a comparative thing, if we wouldn't just recognize these same kinds of words. Glory to our God and to his Son. And peace as a gift, to God, a gift of God to man on earth. Glory to God. To God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And then the lights go out, as quickly as they came on. They seem to be gone. Literally, it seems like it seems like they were. All this brightness, and then all this sound, and then nothing. Nothing but the, the stars in the sky, and a bunch of stunned shepherds, and probably frightened sheep. I want, to, I want to stop at this phrase in the same country for a sec. Now there were in the same country. The same country are the hills around Bethlehem. And I want to stop here because it's a really significant group of sheep, not just shepherds. The sheep on the hills around Bethlehem, the lambs that were born in the fall into the winter, were the lambs of sacrifice for the Passover. So the ewes that are about to to drop their babies at this point, the ewes that are, are shortly going to be dropping their babies are dropping the babies that will be the Passover sacrificial lambs. And so out on these hills, being announced to the people who are in charge of keeping watch over the Passover provision, announced to those people is the arrival of the Lamb of God in the city of Bethlehem who will be the ultimate Passover Lamb. God never misses a beat. Everything is right. Everything fits. This is one of the greatest demonstrations of the power and proof of Scripture to me is that things fit together from ancient to present over and over again the pieces start coming together here and there and they start forming this beautiful picture, this beautiful tapestry demonstrating to each of us that God has been behind it all along. I want to ask you now, what do you want not for Christmas, but from Christmas? What do you want from Christmas. You see, we always ask what we want for Christmas, right? My family, that starts at Thanksgiving because there's going to be the drawing of names at Thanksgiving and those names are going to get distributed. I wasn't even home when they got distributed. I got a text message that told me who my person was this year. Somebody's in charge, they know who everybody's got, but only, only that person knows who everyone has, and th- this, was, th- this person was in charge of texting me this year, and I had to look back at my phone to figure out, because I can never remember. I kept the message, though. I usually carry around a little slip of paper in my wallet, just so I can remember who my person is, so I can get, you know, 24th is Guy's Day at the mall, so I can remember until time to go. Liz says, it's terrible. It's not terrible. It's Guy's Day at the mall. It's official. Perfectly official. What do you want from Christmas this year? So we're coming up to a celebration. We know this probably isn't the right date. But it's, it's the right intent. As we come up to the celebration of Christmas, what do you want from Christmas? This, these guys, these shepherds, as soon as the angels had gone away, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go. Let us now go. I love the, This is the New King James. I love kind of the old English. Let us now go. We should say that kind of stuff more often. Let us now go to lunch. Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Okay, guys, let's go find Jesus. Let's go find the Messiah. Let's go check this out. We had an angel just talk to us. Let's go follow through in the assignment. What do you want from Christmas? you know what they wanted from Christmas? You know what these guys wanted from Christmas? They wanted to find that baby. They wanted to find the, the, the cave or the shed or the stable, whatever they, wherever it was, they wanted to find that baby. What did you want from Christmas? What do we want from Christmas? They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe, where was he? Right where he was supposed to be. Lying in a manger, wrapped in the clothing of the poor. What do you want from Christmas? What are you looking for this Christmas? What, what is it that you're looking for? What are you seeking? Jeremiah said in chapter 29, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Is there anything you're searching for? With all your heart. We're all driven by something. Some of us are driven by our past. Our path, our past either haunts us and it drives us to behave as a result. Or it, or it invigorates us and it drives us, drives, us, drives us to behave in a certain manner as a result. We're driven by our finances. We can't take three minutes away from thinking about how much things cost. We can't we can't stop looking at how much taxes we're paying. We can't stop thinking about how we can make another buck. Some of us are driven by our finances. Some of us are driven by our family. It's our tradition, it's our name, it's our heritage, it's whatever. Some of us are driven by our family. What drives you? Are you driven by competition, success, glory, are you driven because you just want other people to think highly of you? What drives you? What's driving you today? What is it you seek after with all your heart? What is, is it the affirmation of your spouse? Is it that your kids will be perfect? Is it, is it to die with cash in the bank? What is it that drives you? One more piece of property? A new car? A better smile? Smaller nose? What's driving you? What are you seeking after today? If this were your last day on earth, could you be satisfied? If this were it, if you closed, if you knew you were dying today, would you have a bucket list? A bucket list is kind of an interesting concept, but it's kind of a sad thing. You know what it says? Not satisfied. What are you seeking? These guys had only one thing that night. They got to find this baby. The angel told them it was coming. They needed to find the baby. And off they were to find it. What are you seeking with all your heart? How hard are you looking? The next story in this constellation of stories, and I'm going to cover it quickly. I know some of you keep track. Some of you are driven by the clock. Not most preachers. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. What's his name? Simeon. Simeon. And this man was just and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So Simeon is a devout man. He's there in Israel. He's waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit rests on him. People ask me every once in a while was the Holy Spirit busy, active before Jesus? came, or was the Holy Spirit something that came only after Jesus? Well, here's a demonstration the Holy Spirit was active during Jesus' time, and clearly through the prophet's messages, we know the Holy Spirit was working before. So yeah, the Holy Spirit's been around the whole time. The Holy Spirit is active in this man's life. The text continues, it had been been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord. I will not stop until I stop. He would not see death. Here's a dying man. And he's holding on to see that last thing. My grandmother was, uh, was passing away in December of 1971. She had fallen into a coma right after Thanksgiving. Kind of makes the, the whole situation kind of tough. I was about 11 years old, but I remember my grandmother saying this. Right before she kind of stopped communicating... She said, I would like to see 1972. It's kind of a weird thing, you know. What was so good about 1972? She was in a coma, supposedly not able to know what day it was or what was going on. She passed away on January 1st, 1972. Here's a man who's been told by the Holy Spirit, he has a conviction from God. He, it's, he knows it's the end of his life. And he's been told by God, you will not die before you see the Messiah. Did you pick this guy to be on the team? This guy makes one of the biggest speeches. One of the biggest speeches in the story, a declaration about the Messiah. Here's a dying man. You've got the shepherds and a dying man who's just waiting. Shepherds are going to find a baby. He's waiting to see the baby. If this were your last day, what would you be searching for on that day? It's an interesting orientation to start asking what we want from a day, isn't it? We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were discussing how you go about your thinking in your life. It changes things when you start asking the questions differently. I will not stop until I stop. You will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart. Is there a spiritual goal in your list of things that are driving you today? How often we struggle to put spiritual things in the priority list how often we naturally throw things in, a lot built on personality and history and experience, we naturally throw certain things into the list. And how often the spiritual gets left out. The last, I promise. A woman, a hundred plus years old, a remnant from the lost tribe of Israel. There was one, Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phineul, of the tribe of Asher, one of the ten tribes that was taken away by the Assyrians. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years. So she was married, and how long did she lived with her husband? Seven years, at which point he passed away. And this woman was a widow for about 84 years. Years. So you take the 7, you add it to the 84, what do you have? Quick, math majors. Come on, somebody say it. There you go, you got 91. So clearly she was not married at 8 years old, or 9 years old, right? So she's over 100 years old. So the next person in the story is a woman from one of the tribes of Israel that's almost completely gone. The light of this tribe is almost completely extinguished. She's over 100 years old. And there was one, Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Fenuel from the tribe of Asherah. She was of great age and lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow for about 84 years. Now Anna speaks. She just speaks in passing. She walks by, she sees the Messiah. And she comments. Just a sentence. A 100-year-old woman, a woman who is a remnant of one of the lost tribes of Israel. Have you yet seen yourself in this story? Have you stumbled across yourself? Are you too sick to be of any use to God? Too close to the edge, too too close to the lights going out, are you too sick to be of any use to God? Are you too old? Are you too old to be of any use to God anymore? you passed past your prime. You no longer. Your brain doesn't function like it used to. Your body won't even do what you want it to do anymore. Are you too old to be of any use to God? Are you too young or of such bad reputation that God can't possibly use you? Have you found yourself in the story yet? Because that's the point. Jesus is all about picking the underdogs. He's all about picking the ones that aren't getting picked and giving them title roles in the story. If this story tells us anything it says, there's a place for us in the story. So the question for us in the story then is, what are we looking for? What, what do we come to Christmas for? What do we want from Christmas this year? She did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day and coming... In that instant, as Simeon closes his prophecy, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him, Jesus, to all who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Would you pick her for the speaking role? From this barely existent little tribe out on the coast? She's a leftover among the leftovers. She's that one olive in those kind of drying out nachos that are in the fridge. And there were shepherds. And there was a dying old man And there was a 100-year-old remnant of a long-lost tribe. And each of them found a place in the story, in the telling of the story of the arrival of Jesus. Where's your place? Have you figured out your place? At the end of the day, what I want for you for Christmas is a brighter picture of Jesus. A stronger image in your heart and in your mind of a God who picks the underdog. What I want for you for Christmas It's faith to believe that you could be part of the story. To see in the demonstration of who these people are a reflection of who each of us are. To see in this simple announcement a call from God the underdog in your seat to find your voice and announce the presence of Messiah let's pray